In case you missed our uh, Patreon live stream last week, we introduced a new sound effect. Here it is. Do it. Oh. <laughs> oh. Uh, welcome to Shaking and Disturbed, welcome. everyone. I am Darren Carp, and I'm here with John Thrasher oh. at the soundboard. Oh. Oh, That's right. And it's, I do say it a lot, and it's so funny because today, um, so on my show, like I interview, on Reality Check for People TV, I interview all of the reality stars of, in, in yeah. their show. And one of, there's a show on MTV called X on the Beach. I don't know if you've seen promos for it or yeah, what I'm I talking have. about. Anyway, a girl that works for me, who's like a production assistant on the show, dated one of the guys on X on the Beach. And so he came on today, and I was like, all right, girl, like you're writing the script, like here we go. And he was like dishing all of this drama and we have this working doc like you and I do. So it's like, I'm reading yeah. the questions to ask, but I can like formulate or whatever as I'm doing the interview. And and she writes comments sometimes. Like she'll be like, oh my God, like they're giving the tea. Like, oh my God. And she wrote, oop, when he Ooh. was giving drama. Ooh. And I was, I, I wanted to laugh so much of being like, is this a John Thrasher? Is, <laughs> is this, this a John, John Thrasher, Thrasher production? Like what's yeah, happening? Yeah. Like, What's going on yeah. here? Um, no, we do. We, we per our conversation from last, I think it was last episode, right? The last full episode. I think so. I One think of the more recent that. ones, you made this little, oh, and, and I said oh. to you, I was like, I'm going to isolate that. And I'm putting it on my little physical soundboard. For those who don't know, I got a mixer about a month ago. So now I have eight keys that I can program. One of which is, of course, you know, for when things get a little spicy on the show. Yeah. Of course, Darren's yeah, favorite course. one is on here. A few moments later. <laughs> a few moments later. A few so, moments later. Yes, in other that's my words, favorite one. Yeah, that's a good one. In other words, we are, we've upgraded the production quality of our show, and that's courtesy of Patreon supporters like many of you. So thank you for that, by the way. So. Yes, and we did reveal some merchy merch in our Patreon that's right. last week. So they got the first look at that stuff which was good and i do have an update we should share this now for everybody not just patreon okay, fans ahead. um merch store is almost ready i know i've been saying that but guess what we're at a signing area so now i just have to like sign some of the paperwork guys pretty much dot your dot, dot your i's and cross your t's that's right baby. dot the t's cross the i's yeah, and yeah. Um, on we'll go. So I'm hoping in the next, maybe by next episode, we'll be able to launch and have it up and running. It's really exciting. And I've been working with really nice people at this company, which we'll announce in the when the time is right. But yes, it's coming. So get ready. You're going to have your Shaken and Disturbed t-shirts. We should Thank mention God. Darren. Yeah, yeah, I know, right? Thank God. If uh, you're on Patreon, they uh, Patreon subscribers will get first access and a first, discount, I believe. Yeah. First deal, my friends. First deal if you're on Patreon. Right. Oop, if you're on Patreon. So, yeah, we're really excited about that. And yes. the shirts are really cool. We have so many. I think the first ones are kind of more like, you know, our logo. We want you to see it. But we have so many yeah. other, like, really fun, interesting inside joke ideas that we're going to be doling yeah. out kind of as it goes. But it's kind of hard to run a merch store by yourselves. So that's where we're at right now. But and by no the excuses, way, when, we're going to make it happen. When we say the fun insider joke stuff, that's all Darren. Like, she came up with some really hilarious ideas that I can't wait to put on a T-shirt. So get yeah. ready, folks. They're coming. So there you go. A few moments they're they're later. coming a few moments later yeah exactly exactly um well john before we get into this week's case yeah uh, what are you what what are you drinking well you i'm look, not you look disappointed I'm when do, i asked that going, question well i wanted to drink here's the problem about doing a boozy podcast is i want to drink but sometimes i can't 
So we're doing this right after work, this episode, and I'm playing pickleball. In be- oh, So God. basically it goes work, <laughs> work, uh, podcast, pickleball. And, well, I just don't want to be drunk when I'm on the court. What more can I say? If you're listening, um, if you are a Patreon fan, we put up uh, an NMR there where I talk about my pickleball tournament from last weekend. So yes. go and hear about that if you're if you want to know the results. Basically, what I'm saying is I'm taking my pickleball career a little more seriously, and I can't be drunk stumbling around the court, Darren. Okay. Spoiler alert: You didn't win, but spoiler <laughs> alert: You didn't lose. That's fa- that's a great assessment. You didn't, yeah. you didn't lose either. So but, find out where in the pack. But what uh, a metaphor for life! What a metaphor for life! You don't win. I'm but never you don't winning, lose. and I'm and I'm never losing. I'm right. never winning either. Yeah. So that's just how I am. Um, yeah. I am taking a page out of your book. I had a impromptu kind of work dinner last night where, mm. um, you know, I ended up arguing politics, of course. So got oh, really okay. drunk uh, with <laughs> a former boss of mine. And I'm taking it easy today and hydrating with some water and a little Diet Coke. Oh, a few wh- is diets it? Later. <laughs> a few Diet Cokes later. later. Did, um, were you with somebody I would know? Just curious. No. You don't have to no, tell no, me. No, oh, okay. no, no, no. It's, a, it's with my people company. It's not with any, anybody oh, got that it. you know, unfortunately. Yeah. Before we jump into the episode, we have a throwback to Martinis and Murder I wanted to mention. Did you yes. happen to see in the Facebook group someone posted a photo of them watching something on Oxygen? And, and it said Matt the Bartender? And it said Matt the Bartender? Yes! And I'm like, are they doing a show with Matt the Bartender? It was Amanda in our Facebook group. And I literally had to look at it for a second and I'm like, wait, yeah. what's happening here? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, what? what? I saw that too and I was like, oh my God, that, that was motherfucker funny. Matt. Yeah. Um, that was a very good, and I like that she had like the subtitles on so we could all see. It was very great. Right. So. Yeah. That's what I was like. Cause obviously, I think in the episode, by the way, we should clarify as far as I'm aware, it's not our former coworker, Matt, the bartender. It was, there was a man named Matt who happened to be a bartender on the show. Hmm. Although anything's possible. Anything's possible. So, we don't know what I he's up like, to. So I feel like knows? we had the first Matt bartender <laughs> right. and, oh, ever in the history of the world. So I feel like, yeah. you know. Yeah. You know Can we address I mean? something really quickly? But just I know we're going to get into the show, but I think it was funny because in the comments under that, there are some people that I think came over from Martinis and Murder and are listening to our show now, which thank you guys so much for joining us over here. Yes, thank but, you. But I guess some people weren't aware of whatever that transition was. So people are like, I wonder what happened with Matt and are they still friends? You know, and it's like, we talked about that. Like, go listen to the past episodes. Like, we addressed it, you know? It's it's just funny to me that people think something wild and crazy went down when really it truly didn't. I just, I don't know. I just thought I'd throw that out there. Just a fun um, time. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's a fun time. <laughs> it's a fun time. It's a fun time yeah. all around. We're all uh, good. Should we, yeah. get in, should we get into Let's this week's it. case, my yes. friends? Let's do it. So Paul Dennis Reed Jr. was born on November 12, 1957 to Paul and Joni Reed in Richmond Hills, Texas. When Paul was three, his parents divorced. He and his sister moved with his father and their paternal grandmother. While very young, Paul sustained multiple instances of head trauma, including once being hit on the side of the head with a brick. I mean, imagine oh, being shit. very young and being hit in the head with a brick. I have to, just as a side comment, just because I mentioned a lot with my mom, when my mom was in college, um, don't tell me she got hit with a brick. Yeah, she did (gasps) actually. Like there were these neighbors, she was like sunbathing in her backyard (gasps) of this house. And there were these neighbors that just 
not to my mom directly. I don't think yeah. they were like, it wasn't to my mom directly, but they were just being like nudgenics and threw this brick over this fence and it hit my mom's hand. And she like, I want to say she broke her hand, but maybe oh. she'll, because she listens to the show, she'll, she'll clarify, but she de- it definitely hurt her hand uh, if it didn't break mm. it. And uh, it was terrifying. And yeah. you know, we, I, I remember her talking about it because I was like, you know, five inches over to left, it hit your head. Like... You just remind. I can't imagine, you know. That's horrible. I'm glad she survived that because that could be honestly fatal if it hits the right place. Did you ever see? I don't know. If, I know you don't spend a ton of time on TikTok or whatever, but there's this video I saw. It's like these. It's like um, a house security camera, and it's facing out to the pool of this family's home. And there's two like young boys in the pool. I'd say they're like seven or eight, and the mom is sitting in a lounge chair like by a couple of trees and you see the kids kind of like yell or something. The mother jumps up out of her chair and runs the exact moment. She jumps up out of her chair. A humongous tree falls right on top of the chair, exactly how she was laying. And it's like, when I say a split second, she would have been a split second later than she was she would have died in front of her kids no less i mean it's terrible by the way about speaking to about bricks did you know that harriet tubman i'm a huge harriet tubman enthusiast fan i don't know what the word is but i think a lot of people know i love her it's like a Tubmanophile, you know. I'm a like Tubmanophile. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like Tubmanophile, something That's like that. Me. We'll, we'll coin that term. That's me. Yeah. Thank you. I love that. Um, later in her life, I guess because of the work that she did with Underground Railroad, I'm not exactly sure the reasoning, but she was hit in the head with a brick by somebody who hated her. And she spent a lot of the last years of her life with mental illness because of that brick attack. Isn't that wild? So oh here we're talking. I know. So here we're talking about Paul, who even at a much younger age had multiple instances of this head trauma. It's just terrifying. But anyway, yeah. by the time he turned five, Paul was extremely difficult to care for. He misbehaved. He was terrible. He was cruel to animals, Darren, which I know is a terrible thing, but also an, usually an indicator of terrible things to come. There was one instance of Paul setting fire to his grandmother's bed while she slept in it. Whoa. Yeah, there were also multiple instances of Paul beating his grandmother's dog with a baseball bat. Oh, my God. Paul's father seriously considered putting him, like, up for adoption. Paul's mother, Joni, was made aware and moved Paul back in with her. Remember, he was just living with, with his father at first and their grandfather. However, at only 16, Paul sexually assaulted his mother and sister and was no longer allowed to live there. This kid got a lot going wrong for him. Maybe we just don't understand about, you know, maybe the cause of the head trauma in the first place or like, you know, if you get hit in the head, it can affect how your your mental behavior and it can affect your... Uh, ability to kind of see rationally and think clearly and do all this stuff. I'm actually kind of surprised, not that this can't happen, but it's just like Paul sexually assaulted at 16 his own mother. Like sort of sister feels like on an equal playing field, but your mother, like I wonder if he just overpowered her or what, because you'd think the mother, at least in a position of authority, would be understanding that this is like not okay to do. It's right. just horrible. I, it's just hard to say like how much of this head injury and head trauma like really affected um, him. Yeah, and you know, you're reminding me of like the Aaron Hernandez case and CTE and all the 
mental problems that come along with playing football and banging into other skulls for most of your life. You know, it's very similar, I would say. Um, So Paul's pattern of of bad behavior only got worse once he began living on his own. His juvenile record includes automobile theft, assault, and check forgery. In 1982, at the age of 25, Paul was thought to have committed several armed robberies in Texas. He was caught and charged, but never tried on any of the charges, and instead, he was actually found incompetent to stand trial and was sent to a hospital. Okay, I mean, listen, I don't know. It's hard to say, like, if if you're competent enough to do a lot of this stuff, well, again, though, we don't know how the brain injury affected him. Yeah, we don't no, you're know. Right. Like, and I'm not saying that people don't have their own that it like totally absolves yeah. responsibility here. But if you're if you have a brain injury, I'm just mm-hmm. cautioning that maybe perhaps it was a function of that. Maybe not. But he obviously sustained a lot of head injuries, including a brick to the side of his fucking head when he right. was a kid. And that's when your brain is still developing. So that could have been part of it. But yeah. However, in 1984, Paul was convicted of a different armed robbery. The prosecuting ADA on the case noted during testimony that during legal proceedings, Paul performed antics when the jury was present, but stopped putting it on when the jury was no longer in the room. Mm. Okay, so this says something to me. Well, it says that you know, you know. How to to perform. Yeah, how to perform and for whom. Yeah. And after being released from custody, Paul moved from Texas to Tennessee in the hopes of pursuing a music career. Well, waiting for his big break, Paul found work in Shoney's restaurant. I've been to a Shoney's. <laughs> yeah, me too. I had a uh, friend, you know, I lived in West Virginia, Morgantown, West Virginia, made famous by a couple of murders and the WVU Mountaineers. There's a Shoney's there, and I had a friend from Canada who was visiting, and I'll never forget this moment. I think he was visiting. Actually, I think he was visiting my town and, like, didn't tell us. It's a whole thing. Um, A couple of my other friends that knew him. And he was like, by the way, guys, like, I'm in your town. I just wanted to let you know I just drove by S. Honey's. And I was like, sweetie, it's um, called I have Shoney's. a look of judgment on my face. That's No, I know. I'm Darren's silent. giving me that look. Uh, we were like, honey, it's called Shoney's, but S. Honey. So from then on, obviously, we call it S. S. Honey's. Hun- yeah. Obviously, you have to say S. Yeah. Honey's. Um, Where have you been like in this- a Shoney's? Yeah. It's kind of like in a diner. Um, Virginia, yeah. I think okay. it was. I was in Virginia. Um, well, so he found work in a Shoney's restaurant, but he still had significant financial difficulty. Yeah. In fact, he discussed the idea of robbery with several of his fellow employees, <laughs> particularly the idea of robbing a fast food restaurant at night when there wouldn't be any witnesses. And around this time, he also asked the other Shoney employees for, get, for help getting a gun. It's interesting because, like, if you know that this is bad behavior, I would think that you really wouldn't want to talk about it with people. Right. Unless people that you trust. Getting a gun. Yeah. Robbing a place. Because obviously that makes them culpable in the kind of crime and it can make them, I don't know, it just seems a little odd. No, to tot- uh, totally. And this is one of the things that is a th- um, through line with so many of our cases, right? Like so many of the people that have committed a lot of these crimes, they will talk about, plan about, do all this stuff as if it's just a normal run of the mill day for them like another thing to right. check off of their of their boxes and i'm like what is going through your head mentally to think that any of this is appropriate well in february of 1997 paul was fired from his job for getting angry enough to throw a plate that struck one of his coworkers and oh. on the morning on the oh and <laughs> yeah. on the morning of february 16th 1997 16-year-old sarah jackson and 25-year-old steve hampton showed up to their jobs managing a chain restaurant called Captain D's. That is basically named after me. 
Right, Captain Darren's. We've been, we've all been there. Yep. Captain D's. Yep. And Sarah was a high school student who worked part time as the restaurant manager. Sarah spoke on the phone with the district manager just before eight thirty that morning. Okay. Mm, okay. But around nine forty five, another employee came into work, but was unable to enter the restaurant because the doors were locked. He tried to call the store several times, but only ever received a busy signal. Yeah, this isn't looking good. Yeah. Sensing something was wrong, he got in touch with another of Captain Z's employees, whose father worked for the police. Oh, boy. Well, the employee's policeman father came to the restaurant around 11 a.m. and unlocked the front door. Inside the restaurant, he found Sarah and Steve's lifeless bodies inside the walk-in freezer. Oh, my God. Yeah, both Sarah and Steve were laying face down. Both had been shot execution style while laying on the floor. Both Sarah and Steve were shot with a 32 caliber gun, probably a revolver. A medical examiner who worked on the case later noted that while Steve had only re uh, received a fatal shot to the head, Sarah had been shot four times, three wounds to the head and one to her back. So Steve had been shot once, once and Sarah yeah. had been shot four times. Right. Which I think that does indicate something, right? Like either, you know, it was clear that he was dead instantly and she didn't die instantly, or maybe there was some little more passion involved in her shooting. Right. It could have know? been maybe I hate women. It could have been right. a number of things. This yeah. woman could have reminded him of his mom. So it's clearly if he's sexually assaulting his mother and sister, Good there's point. something to do with women for sure. But Good obviously point. he still killed Steve. So, yep. yeah. And according to the medical examiner, two of Sarah's head wounds were only superficial. If the wound to her back hadn't immediately incapacitated her, she likely would have been able to get up and move. Mm. That's tough. In fact, a blood pattern on a shelving unit near Sarah's body indicated that she had indeed attempted to pull herself up. Oh, this is like heartbreaking. I can't imagine the fear and the, the adrenaline that must be going through someone's body after they've been terror. shot. Yeah. The terror. Terror. Authorities investigated the restaurant and uh, noted that $7,140 was missing from the store, including, this is interesting, $250 worth of coins alone. So obviously every restaurant's going to have this type of, you know, $250 in coins. They got to get, they got to have change for when people try to pay with cash. And this was the 80s and 90s, so... Anyway, Steve's wallet, which contained $600 in rent money, was also missing. Mm. It's always the money, by the way. Can we talk about that? It isn't, it isn't, because remember what people, how many people try and like stage robberies and they know that oh, it's like true. not really, because like their money's never stolen and it's like this yeah. passionate kill, you know, that has nothing to do with it. So right. it isn't, well, it isn't, but I get it. Darren's keeping me honest on today's show. That's for sure. That's right. <laughs> That's right, baby. That's right. On June 12th, 1997, Paul was arrested in nearby Cheatham County or Cheatham County, I hope I'm saying that right, for yeah. reportedly attempting to kidnap the manager of a Shoney's restaurant. Oh, wow. my God. This guy just has no – he seems like one of those people that it's just like – and this is kind of what I was talking about earlier. It's like you just do. You don't think – you don't think about the repercussions. You don't think about the consequences. Right. It's always just about in this exact moment doing whatever it takes to get what you want. Whatever comes after, uh, I'll deal with it. I'll go to jail. I'll, you know, whatever. Well, the difference between a lot of us is that we're able to kind of set our boundaries. Totally. You know, one of the yeah. things we always ask ourselves is like, what brought people to this point? Why did they immediately just go to like, well, I want to get out of this marriage, so let me just kill this person. Like, right. most of us are not like that. <laughs> right. um, and Thank have God. that sort of 
switch in our head to be like, wait, this yeah. is a bad thing. This is not a good thing. Um, yeah, for real. That's yeah, true. Yeah. Well, during the arrest, authorities photographed Paul and collected his fingerprints. This is when they first began to suspect him of the Captain D's murders. Yeah, obviously, if you're going to get his fingerprints and they match, ding, ding, ding. While none of Paul's fingerprints had been recovered from the murder scene, several items belonging to Steve, the deceased employee, had been recovered from the side of the highway in Nashville, which is about 12 miles from the restaurant, but only about a mile uh, from Paul's home. And shout out to Nashville. You and I spent some time in Nashville Crime Con back in the day. We got we got some sweet tea down there. We were living our best life. Vegetables. Awesome. Yeah, we got vegetables. I was at a Walmart at a like 12 o'clock midnight and Darren was texting me to come hang out. I'm like, I'm getting my veggies. You're like, like I'm at Walmart getting vegetables. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Um, <laughs> I went to Nashville to go Ooh. to Walmart and but yeah. Oh. Um, among the belongings, police found Steve's movie rental car. Just goes to show how long ago Remember this was. those? One side of the card contained a thumbprint, <gasps> which matched Paul's. Oh. Now, inside the Captain D's, police had also found f- several shoe prints. Although the bottom tread didn't match the shoes Paul was wearing during his arrest, the size of the prints matched the size Paul wore, which doesn't necessarily say much. Yeah. I think a lot of guys kind of very similar shoe size, just like girls, like seven and a half, eight. Yeah. Police showed Paul's photo to the remaining Captain D's employees, and several people remembered him as, quote, the man who came by the night before the murders asking about a job. Okay. According, It's interesting because I'm sure that if you work in the restaurant industry, which I did, it's hard to remember. I was just going to say that. Uh, like the night before something that doesn't seem great, but if this guy's asking for a job, he's obviously like taken off. You know yeah. what I mean? No, for sure. And to that point, I will say this. This is going to make me sound very superficial and vapid. I worked at, I don't know if it's still there, if anyone's listening from WVU, there was a uh, Starbucks coffee shop on the fourth floor of the downtown library. I worked there for a couple of semesters, and I will tell you, I probably served a latte to every single student on that campus at some point. And I don't remember most of them, but can I tell you the ones I do remember? The cute ones. Of course. Well, maybe Paul was cute. Maybe Paul was cute and they could remember him. But I will tell you, I knew some of those guys' names. I knew what classes they were going to. I was trying to find a husband. Okay. John, a little stalkery. I know. A little weird. Maybe I should should delete that. But, you know, yeah, yeah. Oh. (laughs) According to statements, (laughs) the man had come through the back door around 10 p.m. shortly before the restaurant closed. The man had claimed he was looking for part-time work and showed proof that he also worked as a cook at the Shoney's restaurant a few miles down the road. It is a little weird to come through the back door. Sure. I think. I mean, I'm trying to think, is it like a back entrance for anyone or is it like the cook's kitchen? Is it through the parking lot and the regular entrance on the street? Wait, but it's like, it is a little odd. The employees gave the man an application and told him to come back the next day when the manager, Steve Hampton, would be working. Steve would be on site, but likely unable to talk until after the lunch rush, which ended just before 3 p.m. Now, a few months later. A few moments later. Literally, it's in our information, guys. Yeah, except this is months, but months and moments, the same thing. (laughs) In June, the employees were shown a photo lineup containing one photo of Paul. One of the employees positively identified Paul as the man who had asked about the job. And on March 23rd, a McDonald's restaurant was robbed just before closing time. Three of the four employees who were in charge of closing 
Robert Sewell, Andrea Brown, and Ronaldo Santiago were all murdered Ugh. in a similar execution style. The fourth yeah. employee, employee, Jose Ramirez Gonzalez, was also meant to die. However, the robber's gun had jammed, and mm. the robber instead stabbed Jose repeatedly, took the contents of the safe, and left all four employees dead. Mm. Jose was still alive, however, uh, and was able to call 911 for help. God, talk about, like drama and tragedy all wrapped up into one. Well, at around 10 p.m. on the evening of April 23, 1997, 21-year-old Angela Holmes and 16-year-old Michelle Mace were closing up the Baskin Robbins store where they worked. At about 10.10 p.m., Michelle's brother came to the store to pick up his sister and noticed that Angela's car was in the parking lot with the interior lights on. Mace entered the store but didn't find anyone inside. He phoned the police who arrived and searched the store. Upon investigation, authorities found the cash registers empty and the safe cleared out. Angela and Michelle's mm. purses were found inside the shop and the freezer was left open. The girls, however, mm. were missing. Yeah. On the morning of April 24th, the girls' bodies were discovered inside Dunbar State Cave, about three miles from the Baskin Robbins. Both Angela and Michelle had suffered stab wounds to their necks as well as cuts and abrasions to the rest of their body. Both girls had tragically bled to death. You know, we don't have the information in front of us. We weren't able to find it, but I'm just curious how they got to the cave, how authorities knew to go to a cave, you know? Like, that's an interesting detail I want more about. But nonetheless... The medical examiner testified True. that Angela had died from a single stab wound that cut from her neck all the way down to her backbone. Ugh. Oh, my God. Horrifying. It would have taken both girls roughly 10 minutes to bleed out, and it was likely they were conscious for most of that time, sadly. Authorities were able to locate a witness who had been visiting with Michelle and Angela at the store the night of their death from about 9.20 to 10 p.m., and while in the store, the witness recalled a man in his 30s coming in and complaining loudly about things before leaving. So, you know, there's somebody coming in. It's probably Paul, obviously, but just a really tragic, horrifying situation at this Baskin Robbins. And, you know, just knowing that they bled to death alone is just a mm. lot. Ugh, it's terrible. On June 12th, 1997, Paul was arrested after he tried to kidnap the manager of a Shoney's restaurant. And at the time, Paul was unemployed and enrolled as a community college student. Once he was arrested, authorities began piecing together Paul's role in the murders and indicted him on charges of all three robberies and the murders of all seven employees, Sarah and Steve at the Captain D's, Robert, Andrea, and Ronald at the McDonald's. I have to Ronald, laugh just saying McDonald's, Ronald at the yeah. McDonald's. And, Ange and Angela and Michelle at the Baskin Robbins. In 1999, Paul was tried for all the crimes committed in the Captain D's. During sentencing time, Paul presented evidence that head trauma sustained during his childhood had damaged the left frontal lobe of his brain, which mm. is sort of what I was talking about earlier. Now, we yep. didn't know this at the time, but he's presenting evidence, so right. maybe he got a medical examiner. Paul's defense team argued that the trauma was the cause of Paul's psychological conditions and the reason he committed the crimes. However, regardless of this, and I'm not really sure how I feel about it, because if that's true, you know, obviously, like, he still committed the murders and he still yeah. deserves to be punished, but, you know, maybe he did it involuntarily. It's it's tough to even say what right. it could be. Regardless, the, he also could be lying. Yeah. Now, regardless, the jury sentenced Paul to 25 years in prison for robbery, plus two death sentences, one for each of the murders. Mm. And later on in 1999, Paul was tried for the Baskin-Robbins murders and robbery. 
Um, Paul's defense team submitted that Paul was unfit to stand trial, citing the same argument of childhood head trauma. However, a psychiatrist found that Paul was indeed competent to stand trial, and the trial commenced. The jury found Paul guilty of two counts of premeditated first-degree murder, two counts of aggravated kidnapping, and one count of aggravated robbery. Paul was sentenced to death for both murder convictions. And just before we continue, um, Mm -hmm. a psychiatrist found that Paul was indeed competent to stand trial. That could be true, and, and obviously yes, but we've also seen a lot of things happen in a lot of mistrials where, you know, the they, they're in the pockets of the yeah. um, yes. prosecutors was- and they're creating their own thing. Like maybe they wanted to get this guy and he really did have head trauma, but they didn't want to argue that and they didn't want to get this guy lesser stuff. And so as harsh as these murders are, I just want to encourage everyone to think critically about everything that we're presenting right now. Yeah, because it's so easy to hear. A psychiatrist found that Paul was indeed competent to stand trial, but real the reality is some of that is subjective, isn't it? I mean, it has to be. The line of work alone is somewhat of a subjective thing, I would say. I mean, I'm not a psychiatrist here, but you know, you're kind of analyzing people's behaviors, their intents. Yeah. And as Darren pointed out, you know, we do hear about professionals being paid to give their opinion about things. And well, right. If you're giving the opinion that goes against the people that pay you, I mean, there's a clear conflict of interest in a lot of these things. And, and, and maybe a more pop culture example was when we watched Making a Murderer and we saw those medical mm-hmm. examiners kind of come in and those psychiatrists coming in saying all these different things about, you know, like contradictory statements and this and that. And one medical examiner said this and another medical examiner said that. So yeah, just it's important to think critically, I think, about these things. Completely. Well, in 2000, Paul was tried for the murders and robbery that were committed at the McDonald's. Once again, Paul attempted to bring forth evidence that childhood brain injury was the root cause of his crimes using the same expert witnesses as he had used in the previous two trials. During this trial, however, one of Paul's victims, Jose Ramirez Gonzalez, was able to give eyewitness testimony about the murders as well as his own attempted murder. The jury convicted Paul of three counts of premeditated murder, three counts of felony murder, and one count of attempted murder. Paul's execution date was set for April 29, 2003. On April 14, 2003, just a few days before his his, uh, set execution date, Paul wrote a 92-page letter to the governor, the attorney general, the state court, the district attorney, and a reporter. The letter stated that he didn't intend to try and appeal his death sentence in the Captain D's case. Paul wrote, quote, I accept the jury's verdict in the Captain D's case, as well as the punishment imposed, death by lethal injection, end quote. However, on April 28th, Paul changed his mind and filed an eight-page petition to the court to stay his execution, and the execution was put on hold. I guess I'm a little confused by this, because yeah, me too. why a few days before you're going to be put to death? Now, granted, I could see the, well, the reason you want to kind of stay your execution, but I'm saying, why a few days before your death, you're going to write a 92-page letter <sighs> being like, okay, I accept these terms, yeah. just to change your mind. Like, I wonder if this was a ploy to kind of say that he's maybe incompetent or... Yeah, maybe. That's a good point. It does seem a little out of the ordinary, not that that's necessarily true, but it seems a little odd to write a 92-page letter to be like, okay, yes, I accept this. (laughs) Right, Um, that's true. I sort of get him writing a 92-page letter being like, look at my brain images. Like, look at this scan. Look at this evidence. You didn't present this. Like, that I kind of understand. So to reverse that feels weird. Now, on September 20. 
On September 29, 2003, Paul wrote another letter stating that his attorney had encouraged him to sign a document which dealt with appealing the Captain D's case. However, I was not given the opportunity to read the document, nor actually fathom exactly what I signed. I erred in signing the appeal document. Therefore, I elect to withdraw the appeal document I signed in the Captain D's case. And in November of 2004, Paul was granted a hearing to determine whether he was mentally competent to proceed with his legal proceedings. In a couple months later, January of 2005, as the hearing was waiting to commence, Paul was given permission to appeal the Baskin-Robbins case. The execution date for the Baskin-Robbins murders was set for October 5th, 2005, but Paul was granted a stay of execution while the incompetence hearings took place. And the hearings lasted until July of 2007 when Paul was found to be legally competent. So it sounds like they did their relative due due diligence with this. Mm -hmm. Um, However, the same year, the state of Tennessee granted Paul a stay of execution as part of a larger statewide investigation into the legality of death by legal injection. In April of 2008, the investigation was complete and the state began to resume executions and Paul's stay was revoked. Hmm. On November 1st, 2013, as he awaited execution, Paul was brought to Nashville Hospital with pneumonia. And that evening, 55-year-old Paul passed away from complications of pneumonia, upper respiratory issues, and heart failure. Wow. What a dramatic end to that story. That's (laughs) kind of a lot. Um, And uh, I wonder how the victims sort of feel. Yeah not getting their, I don't know, justice. The truest justice, yeah. Yeah, I'm cutting you my know, hair right now. Sorry. Darren literally just cut her hair on on yeah. camera. Fascinating. That, look what yeah. you get with this show. You never know what you're going to get. You really get, you really get it all. You do. It, I, it feels very unsatisfying, though. This this case feels very yeah. unsatisfying to me for a number of different reasons. Um, I will say. Because, oh, sorry. I don't know. There's just a lot more victims in it than I think that we imagine. My God, you're so right. And, you know, I can't help but think about, as we talk about CTE and head injuries and sort of, you know, the progress we've made, I'd say, in the last 10 years as a society as we start to understand the repercussions of these kind of brain injuries and and how it does actually make you mentally unwell and, and want to pursue aggressive things like this. It just has me wondering, you know, like, if someone truly is suffering from a CTE or a head injury, and that is why, you know, let's let's give Paul here the benefit of this doubt for just this moment. How could anybody possibly defend themselves in that situation? Because you're murdering people, you're harming people, you're robbing banks. I mean, you know, I just feel for the for people that suffer from mental illness because it and, and not just CTE, I'm just talking any mental illness because it's silent. It's unidentifiable in a lot of ways. It it's something only the person who's experiencing it can really see or feel, you know? Yeah, and I think in court in like the criminal yeah. justice system, I guess we can kind of really go by what maybe the experts in the field say. I mean, if they right. said that he was competent to stay on trial, maybe he's competent to stay on trial. But also, what if he's not? Like Totally. What if because yeah. it's such like what if he isn't? And then this guy who was doing all these fucking horrible things, and they're all objectively horrible things. No excuse for it. But if he's doing all that stuff, he never really had a life to begin with. Right. Like he never really had right. a chance to begin with. And um I don't know, it's interesting. I mean, I I, I personally Obviously, we know that I'm against capital punishment in general. So for me, like, yeah. I would say never kill him. And he, we didn't get that opportunity anyway because he died beforehand. But yeah. I would think that even covering this case right now, which obviously we don't know every fact that they knew in the courtroom, 
that I can't say beyond a reasonable doubt yeah. that he's hundred percent culpable. Yeah, right. Guilty. As horrible as what he did. Like yeah. there's no doubt that he's guilty. But the question is, is whether or not that he was actually competent during that time. And right. I don't know. I, I just we just know so many mistakes and so many misgivings given in the criminal justice system that it's like I could also easily see it. And this is what ruins it for the rest of the things because I can't just confidently mm-hmm. say, great, he was tried, he was convicted, that's great. Because now I'm like, yeah, were they lying? Were they being performative I know. just trying to get someone to do that? And there's just so many questions that we're never going to know, which is ultimately the reason why I can't believe in capital punishment. And one thing I've learned in all these years, learning about the human condition, which let's be honest, doing all these episodes of, of true crime, you learn a lot about human behavior. Absolutely. Is do. that... Everyone is human, like even the medical examiners, even the psychiatrists, people have flaws, people have different motivations. And you may think that you can rely on professionals for things, but they may have their own interests, you know, so I don't know. I don't want to be a super skeptic, but you know what I'm trying to say. Either way, let us know what you guys think about today's episode. Do you think that Paul, uh, if justice was served, what do you think about CTE and head injuries? We will potentially read your thoughts and comments on a future episode in our listener shout outs. You can hit us up yes. at Jay Thrasher or Carpe Darren. There's a Facebook group and we will reply to you on our Patreon if you if you message us. Speaking of listener shout outs, Darren, why don't you take our first one of the day? Amy in our Facebook group said, just finished listening to the newest episode and John's comment about all the cases where DNA hasn't been tested. I completely agree that it's very disappointing that the justice uh, laboratory systems have such a backlog. I may have a harsh outlook, but maybe if people such as Bezos and Musk could put their billions into helping lab backlogs instead of commercial space travel, maybe there would be chance in programs such as the Innocent Project would be able to take on more cases. Amen to that, Amy, is what I said to her. Amy, I mean, I understand that point and I get it, but I do think that like, that's, it it seems like too easy of a solution um, as opposed to the right ones, because I don't necessarily think that money is the only thing that needs to be thrown at these things. That's fair. A lot of it has to do with the corruption in the court systems in general that have nothing to do with money that have to do with power. Mm -hmm. And I know that money equates to power, but um, it's not just a matter of Musk being like, here courts, here's a billion dollars, like go solve it. Because I think that's, that's an oversimplification of what I probably think the solution actually is to this. But hey, I love the comments. Keep them coming. And uh, <laughs> I will say I'm kind of down for space exploration just because it's curiosity. And I think that we need to be exploring the world as well and interacting with the world as well. And so I'm kind of, I'm not necessarily against it, but I could see like what corporate America is like, we got so much shit happening here. Why yeah. do we want to go tackle Mars? So a uh, perfectly understandable point that I, that I can take. Perfectly yeah. understandable. By the way, I'm in space right now in our Zoom call. I have a space yeah, background. So I can, let me speak on space. Okay, I got this. Yeah, yeah, obviously. We obviously. Do, Sorry. We do need to explore space because, by the way, 100% there are aliens. That's for another 100%. time, another place, but there are there aliens. There definitely are. There definitely are. But thank you, Amy. I agree with Amy. I like the idea of, you know, listen, all these rich listen. folks out here, you know, throw, throw a little bone over to the criminal justice system. See if that helps. I don't know. Just throwing it out there. That's my opinion. But anyway. Kim Kardashian's maybe trying and maybe she can true. throw her monies in there too. Truly. So we'll I mean, she's, that. yeah, she's used her influence and money in a way like that with, absolutely with exonerations. Sarah in our Facebook group said, totally have watched too much true crime. I was playing categories. First yeah. round question was things you can collect starting with an F. I put, Fingers. Uh. Second question. 
things you find in a basement, starting with a B. I put bodies. <laughs> Sarah, we're going to have to talk about the bodies in the Sarah, basement. Sarah, um, I think that deserves an oop uh, from the soundboard, oh, yeah. please. Oh. <laughs> oh. Oh. Very interesting. Oh, uh, very interesting answer. Um, I would agree with you um, <laughs> about that. I'd probably be like, oh, yeah, basement bodies. Like, that's what you find in basements. So that's I get hilarious. what she's saying, though, because I do the same type of thing. I put a TikTok up a couple, like a year ago, where I was just, like, biking on a trail, and everything was just reminding me of, like, where people would the murder cases. somebody. Yeah, in cases we've covered. So I get it. Well, Sarah. I want to I gotta push back on Sarah a little bit here. Because, Sarah, I know you're watching too much true crime, but clearly you're not listening enough of Shaken and Disturbed. Because if you were, you would know that things you can collect, F, should have been Funkos. You know that. <laughs> we know that. John knows, knows that. that. Yeah. You were caught, Sarah, of following other true crime Other true crime shows. Fair and I'm, I'm shocked. I'm yeah. in awe. Um, Sarah, what the... Fingers should have easily f- been your second choice. Yeah, okay? yeah, yeah. Fingers You're are like, definitely on, second. Sarah. No, that's... You collect the Funkos. Then once you have them, then you collect the fingers. Look, you I'm should in... know this, Sarah. Oh, God. Baby I'm in Yoda's space. Up, I put Baby Yoda on the Zoom call, oh, you guys. John? John? Well, speaking of be- John being in space and you want to see more of John's backgrounds being in space, sign up for our Patreon if you haven't yet. We're releasing exclusive videos, episodes, photos there. You won't get them anywhere else, including access to our fun merch, which is very, very Coming cool. soon. That's right. And not only is it worth it, but you're also helping us out as independent creators, keeping the show that you guys love uh, up and running. So thank you if you're already a Patreon supporter. If not, we hope that you guys will join us. And as a weekly reminder, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. That is always so helpful. And John, you know how we have to end this episode. Of course. We have to end it. Of course. A few moments later. You know, a few moments later. But no, we have to say thank you again to our lovely producer, Megan, who helped with the research today. So if you are in public, be prepared. You're about to connect with other people listening to the show. Darren, one, two, three. Thanks, Megan. Thanks, Megan. We and love on, you guys, and right. we will see you next, next week, or you'll hear us next week rather than <laughs> that. Uh, hear us next week on our podcast, Fingers and Funkos, brought to you by the lovely Sarah. This is our spinoff podcast, Fingers and Funkos. Fingers we'll, see and you guys, Funkos. we'll see you guys next week Bye. for another episode of Shaken and Disturbed. Bye. Bye.